Hello everyone, this is Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, welcoming you to a Long Box Crusade Elseworlds episode. a long box crusade elseworlds you might ask well some of your favorite long box crusade members have done some work over on some other podcast networks that you may or may not be familiar with so from time to time we will grab a show from the past that one or all of us has done on one of those other networks and we'll play it for you here whether it's a james bond rookie agent show from on her majesty's secret podcast network or a comics with normies from white rocket entertainment network or some other bit of alternate dimension craziness, we hope that you enjoy this presentation of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. Welcome to a special episode of MI6 Rookie Agents Live and Let Die. What makes it special? Well, as you'll hear, this episode marks a rookie agent's first. All of us, Agent Jason, Pat, Delvin, and Jared, that's me, got together live and in person for this recording. It was a lot like when all the double O's got together at the beginning of Thunderball, except we didn't get together to stave off a nuclear attack. We got together to hang out at Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was an amazing weekend of comic book stuff, 007 movie watching, bowler hats, Korean food, track suits, and inhuman sprinting ability to chase down rogue carts. I dang near lost my voice, but we pulled it all together to watch Live and Let Die one night and then sit around a table to discuss it the next night. We do ask that you cut us a little slack as we didn't have the optimal acoustics and every time someone bumped the table it can be heard on the audio. We apologize for that and for the fact that we got punchier than normal, but I think you'll enjoy this special episode of Rookie Agents Live and Let Die. As a bonus, at the end of this recording, you'll hear some interviews I conducted back in April after going to a screening of a 35mm print of Live and Let Die at the Capri Theater in Montgomery, Alabama. These brave souls stopped by to chat with me on our podcast immediately after the show let out, and they were great sports to do so. Some longtime fans and one young lady who dipped her toe into the 007 universe for the first time. Again, stay tuned after this episode to hear those short interviews. Without further ado, let's get into MI6 Rookie Agents Live and Let Die. special episode of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. What makes it such a very special episode? We are all in the same room. (laughs) That's right. Here at the tail end of Heroes Con weekend here in Charlotte, North Carolina. We are at the headquarters of Silver Hands. <laughs> Productions brought to you by Felix Leiter, directed by the Dark Web. We are at Dark Web headquarters, and we are coming to you quasi-live. I guess it's not live, because you're not hearing it live, but we are all in the same room together. And how are we doing it? We're doing, doing it live. Doing it live. Yeah, pretty much. 
I'm alive. So it's been a, it's been a long weekend. We've been doing a lot of comic book conning, if you will, at Heroes Con. As you can hear, my voice is a little bit off because I've been talking very loudly for three days in a row. But you know what? We're still doing the show. Last night here at Silverhands headquarters, we watched Live and Let Die all in the same room. You know we did. Yeah, you know we did. You know we did. <laughs> And we are going to change it up a little bit. We're still going to stick to our somewhat formatted script, but we are going to all be in the same room for this recording. So let's give it a try. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I, I like these. Someone will live. Someone may die. die. All right. Uh, in case you didn't know this, I am your host for this program. My name is Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, also known as Death Pro. Joining me, as always, is my veteran bondophile co-host is my brother, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht. <laughs> Welcome back, Jason, and tell everybody what the most Bond-like thing you've done since last recording is. Somebody give me a make on a white pimpmobile. <laughs> <laughs> you had to go there. We may as well get to clear the decks on that. Yeah. Well, I guess the most Bondian thing that I've done is fly across country to uh, link up with my three other agents here at Dark Web's headquarters and go on a three-day mission to get comic book merchandise and just have a good time. So it was a tale of plunder. It was a tale of loss. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we won't talk about the hundred sixty dollars that I lost <laughs> at certain artists who will remain nameless for now. That's a story for another day. Glad to be here. All right. Just in case anyone was wondering, the most Bond-like thing I've done is I put on a goat hood and killed a guy with a snake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was Friday, right? Yeah, I was was pretty sure that was Friday. Um, I was wondering where you stepped out to. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I got my goat hood, I got my snake, I got things to do. Heard some funky music going on. But he was really enthusiastic about it, so I was, I really was. All right, this episode is the eighth of an ongoing series on this channel called MI6 Rookie Agents. On Rookie Agents, Agent Jason and I are taking two friends from our lives who are not very familiar with the 007 universe through the entire James Bond series of films, one movie at a time, to get a newcomer's point of view on the film series that we love so much here at On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. So let's welcome our rookie agents to the show. Welcome to the show, Delvin the Dark Web. This is your headquarters. Tell us what's up, man. What's the most Bond like thing you? Done. I would say the most Bondian thing that I did was that I played Felix Slider to your James Bond by helping you like sell a few things. Oh, you did. He was oh, tremendously helpful. He helped me move some product. And I'll let the fans know one of the better moving products at this show were my James Bond book page sketches where I draw characters from Bond on the Bond novels available. Hit me up on Twitter at do mail order. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Was, this was your thing. It, it, it was, but that, that's okay because, you know, that was a part of what I did and he is very correct. People came by, and even if they didn't buy, they complimented the novel idea of having a Bond character drawn on Bond books or Bond novels. So it was a very good idea. Thank you. Speaking of Felix Slider, oh, oh, here we go. I, I have, I have an update. I have an update. All right, all right. I would be disappointed if you did. the The plot of this movie, Agatha Silverhands, is back. She has a front of cattle ranching out in the Midwest, but little does the public know. But the CIA does is that she is also running a brothel from those ranches <laughs> up in the mountains. And Felix Slider's job is to infiltrate 
operate and to stop this nefarious scheme. The movie is called Hi-Ho Silver Hands. <laughs> <laughs> and is it called uh, Operation Why Buy the Cow? Hi-Ho Silver Hands. We will get with former guest of the show, Raymond Benson. We'll see what he can do with that. What's the, what, what are kind of the prices? <laughs> it's, it's a fiction. It's oh, a fiction. oh. So it's not real? No, I'm, I'm just a humble actor playing Felix Leiter, so I, I can't afford the prices to, to, to go I would to assume once the movie got big, there would be a demand for that kind of an entertainment it's possible. I think, like I think you're sidetracked on that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but see, it enticed Pat. Too much cosplay. Too much cosplay. Yeah, too much cosplay is making his all keyed up. I think Dark Web is being a little too humble because I saw an even more James Bondian thing that he did today. What was that? Where we had an issue with a runaway cart. Oh. catapulted <laughs> down a parking lot okay. and was hurtling full tilt towards another person's <laughs> yes. car. That yeah. man was fast. And and our very own dark web sped up, ran as fast as I've ever seen a human being run, and, <laughs> and caught that. I heard it in my voice, you know, in my head. Oh, yeah. I heard that music too, and then I started falling well, he was running down again, and I was looking for uh, Jared's insurance papers. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I've, I've got this rollaway card. I used to load my art stuff, and I went around to the side of my car. I went to put the stuff in, and I thought I hooked my foot around the wheel because it was on a bit of an incline. I was wrong. Cart takes off. My hands are full with the heaviest thing I have. So I'm yelling, someone get the cart. And I look at my brother, the weasel skull all over there, and he's looking back at me like, <laughs> no, no, I'm not gonna run after that card. And I'm like, I pushed like, that card uphill. I'm like, we are so screwed. And then I was like, wait, where's Delvin? And he'd already saved it. He was as fast as Roger Moore was after he rolled under the airplane. And <laughs> somehow he covered like 60 yards of the hangar before anybody knew what was up. It was impressive. But enough about us. Let's talk about Pat. Pat, welcome back to the show. What's the most Bond-like thing you've done since last recording? I would have to say the most Bondian thing is my travel experience getting here. Oh, yeah. yeah I did take a, a flight from the northern states over down uh, and met up with you, but I think it was a very exciting time driving with you. Being uh, your, your co-pilot, yeah. I felt like one of your agents. Yes. Uh, you know, it was fun having a very harrowing experience driving. <laughs> I'm not a bad driver. <laughs> Everybody else is. <laughs> so getting driving lessons from Jared for four hours. You're welcome. Has been uh, the bonding experience, I guess. I yeah. guess. I, Did you learn any new curse words? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. 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 Curse words, some new music. Yep. We had um, some fun. Yep. I had fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Anyway. Well, awesome. Welcome back, everybody. This is so cool that we can all be together. We're planning on releasing this show monthly as a companion to the show that Van, Alan Plexico, and Alan Porter are doing. They're currently doing one 007 film per month as we build towards the release date of Bond 25 in 2019. And this show will do the same. Just getting a fresh look at the 007 series through the eyes of our newcomers. So if you want a more in-depth academic look into the film series, complete with a host that has an actual British accent, definitely stay tuned to and subscribe to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. You'll get Van and Alan's show, or the show where Van, John Ringer, and I are doing the World Cup of James Bond, amongst other fun bonding and things we have planned, basically On Her Majesty's 
Secret Podcast is your channel for 360 degrees of Bond. So let's get to today's film, Live and Let Die. But before we get our mission brief from Agent Jason, he's going to jump right into the action with no parachute in a new segment. It's not really new. We've been doing it for a while, but that's in the script, so I read it. What makes you say that? What makes you say that? I'm now aiming precisely at your groin. So speak or forever hold your peace. So what makes you say that is a game that we play. If you ever listen to James Bond radio, they play a game called What's the Next Line? Where one guy gives the other guy a line from a Bond movie. Other guy tries to say what line comes next. We feel like anyone can do that. Yes, that's easy. (laughs) Just kidding. Those James Bond radio guys are awesome. But we put that in reverse. I give Jason a line and then he tells me what line came before it in the film. Who's excited for this? Me. Me. Everybody but Jason. Always root for Jason. Okay, as usual, Jason, I'll start off with one that I consider pretty easy, and then I'll give you one I think is a little tougher. I feel good about this. We just watched it last night. I think it's fresh in his mind, so let's jump in. All right, Jason, here we go. Okay. I suspect the highlight of the tour. Okay. I didn't give you an accent or anything. I'll do my best to do an accent. I'm terrible at this one. I suspect the highlight of the tour. The crocodile scene? Yes. The line is from Tihi. Correct. And Tihi says, says, ah, my favorite part is feeding time. You got it. You got it. Hey, there we go. Instead of virtual, we can give it a legitimate in-life high-five. I like it. There we go. I was worried. I didn't want to get cocky. All right. Here's your second one. All right. All right. I've got him. In my sights. That was Strutter. Correct. When he's in the car. Yes. First, it's the lady in the shop. She's got the line. You got it. He's tailing. (laughs) Oh, man. to impress. You continue to impress. I'm afraid to even touch him. I might explode or something. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of Bond knowledge. Man. Not much <laughs> else. Not much other knowledge. Aren't you glad it's now paying off? All that knowledge that you have is finally paying off. I'm crazy proud of my brother for that. That's good stuff. Agent Jason, give my sore voice a rest, please, and give us a quick mission briefing on Live and Let Die. Roger Moore is James Bond, 007, in Ian Fleming's Live and Let Die. My name's Bob. James Bond. Names is for tombstones, baby. Waste him, now. James Bond is back, and wherever he drops in, it can mean only one thing. Trouble! This is the Bond adventure with more excitement, more action more danger, and more. Much more. Roger Moore as James Bond, 007. Double O Seven is on a worldwide manhunt. The body count is going up. Bond stops to visit. He leaves his mark on everything. They'll kill you. They will kill us. Love was lesson number two. Togetherness. Is there time before we leave for lesson number three? 
Absolutely. exciting 007 adventure of them all. Colors and safari suits because Roger Moore has entered the stage. When British agents are murdered in New York, New Orleans, and the island nation of San Monique, M orders 007 to investigate. Bond soon discovers that there is a mysterious connection between island leader Kananga and a New York City crime lord named Mr. Big. Following the clues and the bodies, 007 dodges duplicitous double agents, hitmen, a beautiful psychic, and hungry crocodiles as he uncovers the truth that Mr. Big and Kananga are in fact the same person. Kananga and his army of assassins are determined to forge a heroin monopoly in the United States and only James Bond stands in his way. Bond teams up with his old CIA pal Felix Leiter, beautiful psychic Solitaire, and faithful companion Quarrel Jr. to take on Mr. Big and his army of thugs led by Whisper, Teehee, and Baron Samdi and a flurry of fists, bullets, and high-performance boat chase. The actor may be new, but you don't need tarot cards to know that 007 is going to defeat the bad guy, get the girl, and do it with 007 style. Despite a rough start during production, Live and Let Die roared into the theaters, earning $35.4 million in North America and $72.2 million overseas, while launching Roger Moore's storied run portraying Agent 007. The cast included Roger Moore as James Bond, Jane Seymour as Solitaire, Yafet Koto as Kananga, Jeffrey Holder as Baron Samdi, Julius W. Harris as Teehee, Earl Jolly Brown as Whisper, Gloria Hendry as Rosie Carver, David Hedison as Felix Leiter, Bernard Lee as M, and Lois Maxwell as Miss Moneypenny. And it was once again helmed by director Guy Hamill. Back to you, Jared. Wow, thanks for that, Agent Jason. I think it's time for us to find out what our rookie agents thought about this one in a segment we call Declassified. Do you expect me to talk? 
Let's check in with our very own Agent Belvin, the Dark Web, Felix Slider, Silver Hands. Got more nicknames than I do. <laughs> Williams. Delvin? Yes. What did you think about Live and Let Die? Let's talk about it. We can, we can actually have a table talk. We can talk about it. I usually like talk in sequential order, and I'll do that a little bit, but I didn't take a ton of notes. I don't know why. I, well, I do know why, because like, usually I will rewind it sometimes, sometimes hey, not. Hey, you're still in my <laughs> But it's true. I, so I, but I, I do the same thing because I want to make sure that I get key parts and I didn't get the advantage of doing that this and, time. And because we were all together, we all kind of made jokes, mystery science theater style through the movie, which probably didn't help. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like, look at the what? nerds writing notes. I'm not a nerd. That's what I wrote. I'm not a nerd. Hurt my feelings. All right. Why is Jason snoring? <laughs> so I'll start with a question. Clearly, Roger Moore was Bond for this movie, but why didn't Sean come back for this movie? Is there any backstory behind that? Because they paid him a mint to do Diamonds of Forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a little backstory. And as usual, I'm going to let Jason take it. Quite simply, uh, Sean Connery turned him down because they offered him, I think, $7 million to come and play James Bond one more time for this film. And he said there are two things that, uh, well, I'll let him come in. and so, okay. Sean, Sean. <laughs> What you want, laddie? Why don't you come back and do Live and Let Die? There are two things I wanted in this life. A golf course and a bank. I own a damn golf course and I'm well on my way to the bank. Peace out, boys. In all fairness, yeah, that's what he said. He said two things he wanted to own in life, a golf course and a bank. He owned the golf course, and he was well on the way to the bank. So he was happy, didn't want to do another one. Hmm. How many years in between the two movies? When was 71 for Diamonds, and then 73 Release for... Release, or, you know, the actual between end of filming to... Release dates. That's yeah. That's all I know. Okay. About two years yeah. Two years, so then do you know how long it took them to find? I suspect, and this is pure speculation, Jason might know better than me, I suspect that they kind of knew during Diamonds they were looking for someone new. I, I know they talked about Timothy Dalton again, and he was still very young, so he was like, yeah. And I think they went after Roger pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, but I'm guessing. They toyed with some ideas. Uh, Burt Reynolds was actually one that was... Oh, that uh, would have been awful. <laughs> that was uh, considered. Uh, Clint Eastwood, allegedly, was uh, also yeah. considered because he was... They liked him from the Dirty Harry movies. The Dirty Harry movies were lame. James Bond. <laughs> Make my day. And so they they kind of searched high and low, but at the end, they, they'd been eyeing Roger Moore for a while, and so they finally landed him. They just re-released an old book that I think was out of print. Yes. And I, we'll take it from there. Take it from there. If it's the one that I'm thinking you're referring to, it Roger is. Moore kept a biography on set. Autobiography, I, I guess. Diary. Diary. Yeah. Journal. Yeah. yeah journal. Daily there journal. On set and kind of lays out, you know, all the behind the scenes goings on. It's not always pretty. On Live and Let Die. I am anxious to read it. I've pre-ordered it on Amazon, and it should be coming by October 15th. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Live and Let Diary. (laughs) If it's not, that's what it needs to be called. (laughs) I should have checked in with you first. Yeah, I heard that it's very candid. and The 007 Diaries. All right, cool. (laughs) Thank you for that answer to the question.
question. It was the premise to start the movie was a good one. You know, you had just somebody sitting there watching a New Orleans funeral and then all of a sudden that dude got killed and it was like, oh, okay, what's going on? So, you know, they got into the thick of it pretty quickly of Bond being sent to figure out why three of their agents were suddenly killed. And I don't know, I was there. Y'all saw me. You were witnesses. I was awake the whole time. And I swear they never really got around to answering that question. If they did, I missed that. They kind of alluded to it with Baines, the character that was killed on the island. Mm -hmm. And 007 at one point says he was killed here, I'm sure because of something he saw. So that's why he wanted to go to where they found the body so that he could investigate. And that's how he found the poppy fields. And he knew that Baines had discovered the poppy fields and they'd killed him because of that. So I can tell you without giving away my rating here, that was a kind of a sticking point to me. If you're going to start the movie with an enormous plot point of there are agents dying, you set it up, three agents in three different cities who were killed off and you're sending Bond out there, you would think you make it very obvious at the end what you're doing and what happened at the end of the movie was that they went after Miss Solitaire and, oh by the way, ran into Mr. Big and got rid of him too. And that part of it bugged me. That bugged me a lot because particularly if you're James Bond, all-world spy, why would you end the movie going to save the girl who was not your objective at all? That was... Did you get a look at that girl, though? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, sure, James Seymour was gorgeous in the movie, but wasn't the objective. And it's not like Bond hadn't had gorgeous women before. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't any special from that. Really, his only objective at the end of like, we've got to go get the girl. What? Well, they actually went back to blow up the poppy fields, but Coral Jr. did all the work on, on that. Uh, he's right. He did go back to get the girl, but I think he was also going after Mr. Big or Kananga. Ish. But I will say that this is a common theme and something that you have to accept about the character of James Bond is that he does have a weakness for women that gets him into trouble. You don't say. Yeah, I agree. And this is in alignment with that character. It's in alignment with that character, not so much in alignment with the story. So I can just say it bugged me about the story. Fair enough. There was never any point where they were like, okay, this guy at the beginning that you saw die out front died because of this and it was subtle I mean essentially you put the pieces together you go oh they were kind of catching on to his drug dealing operation so they had them killed yeah yes. but they never flat out said this guy killed him because this and this guy was killed because of that why the guy in New York City was killed will always be a mystery I, I still don't know why the guy <laughs> in New York City was killed with an ear <clears throat> killing yeah. sound yeah and so it's not that everything in every movie needs to be wrapped up in a perfect bow but if you're going to have it as the major plot point of the movie it should be at some point gotta wrap it up right I'm a completionist at least in that sense better wrap that plot point up you know, wrap that gavel up too <laughs> so you guys had hinted about black exploitation well actually let me back up let's do a good bad good thing good Bond started in way over his head and Kananga Mr. Big, very credible villain. Absolutely credible. Good. I enjoyed him. He was very smart. Even the, the biggest thing that I had an issue with would be, okay, I'm going to rely on the tarot reader 
to put a lot of stock in his tarot. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm putting a ton of stock in my tarot reader to fund. To be fair, she was good up to that point. <laughs> to, to, you know the point I'm talking about. To fund a billion dollar operation, <laughs> <laughs> and this is a and this is a billion dollar operation in like the early seventies. That's like a trillion dollars now. That's a lot of blanking money. But yeah, he's <laughs> what basically is, got a magic eight ball. <laughs> <laughs> Should I harvest those yeah, seeds? Yeah, going to look that so good. Yeah, going to Jay Shimon and shaking her head. <laughs> Do we have accountants? Is anybody here an accountant? Outlook rosy. Yeah, so yeah, so that was to me again just one of those major plot points. Rosie went out bad. She went out badly. If Bond was on to her whole scheme the entire time, which it seemed like he was, she was awful as a supposed CIA agent. She was just god awful. Well, it was only her second assignment. Right. <laughs> We're better agents than she was. Yeah. Was well, like, you do not look yeah. as good as a bikini. I was like, yeah. In fairness, we have not seen Pat in a bikini. Point taken. Yeah, I'll let you see me. <laughs> the question is, would you like to <laughs> talk after the recording? Yeah. But probably not. Because I did pack something. <laughs> Do you have a little Afro wig, too? <laughs> I don't know, I'm mullet. <laughs> did not help. That did not help. Seeing Coral Jr., that was awesome. That was a very cool touch. Yeah. More good. I just wrote at some point in the middle of the movie, Bond, more as Bond is pretty unflappable, probably by design. He just seemed like, yep, throw your worst at me. I'm not phased. And that was kind of cool. Another thing that Jason really wanted me to comment on was J.W. Pepper. And I wrote, he had some... Um, personality. (laughs) (laughs) He did indeed. I wasn't over the top really worried or threatened or ticked off by J.W. Pepper. He just seemed like an over-the-top Southern cop. And and I joked when we were watching it, you know, it reminded me of Dukes of Hazzard. (laughs) Yes. You know, the show on at that time? Was there yeah. influence there? I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, Duke's Hazard. Well, I think Duke's of Hazard was late 70s. I mean, yeah, early late 70s, early, early oh, 80s. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. My bad. And who we'll let that dumb out? That dumb no, you out. shouldn't, because may, maybe, you never know, maybe Roscoe P. Coltrane was somewhat based off of J.W. Pepper. I'm thinking the sheriff from Smoking the Bandit is who I'm thinking of. Maybe, I don't maybe. know. Maybe. But by the time that J.W. had his run in the movie, I also wrote, this movie has gone sideways. <laughs> <laughs> because it was like, oh boy, okay, they're chasing them through the parish and another really long chase. They, they did let scene. that boat chase run a little bit. Goodness gracious. It, to the point where it went long enough that I'm like, wait a minute, why are they chasing Bond in the first place? And if you have to ask that question, <laughs> it's a long scene. Yeah, Mr. B- Mr. Big Dive by blowing up through the gas pellets and... <laughs> Uh, and I said, and that's what Mr. Big gets for going all Blofeld and not just killing Bond. Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot hey, of hey, hey, you walked in my trap, dude, and guess what I'm going to do? Here's a drink. 
<laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> you you could have killed him. You you have guns. Oh, okay, dude. They, uh, they literally tried to kill him twice by feeding him to another animal. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, is it, are bullets expensive? Yeah. <laughs> it's like apparent. Apparently, bullets are expensive. But hey, you know what? We're gonna throw you into this ring with some fighting pecanese. <laughs> Get him! Ouch! 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 <laughs> <laughs> Livestock of some sort. <laughs> Apparently, you know, cheap. Bullets. Expensive. <laughs> Winding down, I noticed at the end fight with Teehee that there was none of that uh, stop action in the fighting. You know, Like the sped up? Yeah. Yeah, we're done with sped up. Yeah. yeah. It, so that was cool to notice. And I'll end with that and read my last paragraph when it comes to giving my ratings. But I'll say it's kind of all over the place. In that major plot where they kind of just skimmed over that to go after the girl was just a sticking point far more than any possible me getting upset at anything about black exploitation. None of that bothered me at all because it wasn't really exploitative. They actually, Mr. Big Conango was a really good villain. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought he was good. And Teehee, yeah, very good sidekick too. Yeah, that was very well done. So maybe it was sort of a period piece homage to black exploitation of sorts, but black exploitation got bad. And that's why they call it that because those movies should be buried and never seen again. <laughs> but if Live and Let Die should be buried and never seen again, it was because of the glaring plot holes. Okay. That's Not good, because of any black time. exploitation. Except for Black Dynamite, that movie should live forever. That movie, no, that movie's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, those were some excellent thoughts, Delvin. I do want to piggyback on his comment about the boat chase. I did feel like it droned on. What's weird is when I watch the movie by myself, I don't feel that way, but when I was sitting with you guys and then kind of watching your reactions and I was like, yeah, see how they like this boat chase. This is a really great boat chase. And I'm like watching that and I'm watching. And I'm like, this is taking a long time. And I noticed during the boat chase, the one thing that drew me back in is there's almost no music. And then they do a wide shot where they're like weaving in yeah, and out yeah. the river and then there's like the music. And now I'm like, okay, back in the boat chase. And that tells me they might have should have put some more music on the boat chase and cut it down a little. But you know what? I want to hear what Agent Christophos has to say. Kind of like Delvin mentioned, I didn't really do a lot of note-taking just because usually I, I watch the movie and do a lot of rewinding as well, too. Uh, one to grab a little for questions, but also just to, sometimes to go back and to catch that right. What did he say? What did he Right, do? right. Yeah, we're a little out of our normal element. Yeah. We just all just watch it together, make yeah. smart comments during the film, laugh together, cry together, share mm-hmm. some moments. Yep. Oh, yeah. Good. We're underneath the same blanket on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have to tell them that. But, <laughs> Whoa. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so what, what were some? Did I mention I brought a swimsuit? <laughs> Roomy couch here at Silver Hands Industries. So what were your overall thoughts? Of uh, having to not watch it your usual. Way? Yeah, the opening. I got opening. It was lame. Oh, you know, because so, I didn't think. I'm not compared to all the bigger openings we've had. The, the, I've got to agree. The with better it. action. Yeah, the, there's no bond. There's yeah, not there's a no lot bond. of big action it's just kind of like I do like the whose funeral is it yeah. Yo, oh yeah, yeah. You know? I'm saying that's but cool. aside from that it doesn't have a lot of zip to yeah. it you're right and then they do it again you know what's coming at that time how often do they you gotta get that group of people there's what 50 people or one <laughs> do they just have them sitting around somewhere just waiting <laughs> oh you're yeah. talking about the band yeah the band the grieving wife and the, yeah. Yeah. yeah she's gotta yeah. work yeah. out they, those tears again like, they gotta like <laughs> stack <laughs> pockets somewhere that they go and <laughs> they're like constantly on stand by. Yeah, they're on standby. They're all sitting around drinking coffee or whatever. <laughs> 
going to get somebody today? <laughs> I don't know. What's happening? How many phone calls have to be made to put that group together? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm not going to lie and say I didn't think the same thing. You know, I was like, how is that? And then when it picks it up, how does it? These are the things going in my mind. Okay, they put the coffin over him, but how do they get the bottom to scoop the blood up? And who's cleaning up the blood? <laughs> Voodoo. Obviously, the Voodoo. guy got stabbed. Voodoo. Oh. That's the answer. All right. Voodoo. Voodoo. How does the flowered shirt guy in that parade get up that much enthusiasm every single time they kill someone? I don't know, but he had to go. <laughs> well, maybe they, maybe because they're waiting around, so they're like on standby. Uh-huh. And then when it's time to go, he's they like, get like lots of money. It up. They probably yeah, get like, that good money. Oh, yeah. Uh, payday. Yeah. So he's all he's excited. Hey, we got to bring it. Yeah, he uh, really got deuce and around drink Red Bulls all day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I don't mean, we're still hijacking that. Even more in the same room. That's okay, because I don't got a lot of notes, like I said. Well, the good news is you don't need notes to tell us what were a couple of your favorite things about the movie. Roger Moore, very good Bond. Yeah. I will yeah. have to say, he played the part. Now that we saw Lazenby, yep. and now you have Roger Moore coming in and playing his part. He's a little more preppy. Smooth. 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 Yeah. <laughs> very good with the action, I thought, too. That'll change. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but they put him in a lot of action. Yeah, he, so he, he looked good in this movie. You're right. We didn't see Q. No Q. No, no catch. Q. Don't know why. We saw Gadgets. Saw Money Penny. Always good to see, see, Money, see Penny. Money Penny. Yeah. Always good to see. She her. helped She's him awesome. out. I was, I was surprised she helped him out. She always helps him out. Yeah. Well, you get to see Bond's house. That was kind of cool. Was it his house? I don't know. Yeah. Does anybody? No, that was his place. That was his place. place. Very cool. You know what's always bugged me about that is when he makes that really complicated coffee or cappuccino coffee, yeah. or whatever. He actually like spills quite a bit on the saucer. James yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't give your boss a slapped up. Slapped up. Come, come on, wipe it off. Sort yourself out. Sort yourself. <laughs> sort yourself out. Well, he, he was kind of out of sorts though. It was early in yeah, the morning. He was, yeah. he was nervous about the Italian agent. Yep. Um, he just got done. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, let's go to song. Oh, yeah. We didn't touch on song. We didn't talk about We didn't. We did not. By Paul Cartney and Wings. Live and Let Die is the song. Everybody knows it. I give this song a four out of five. Okay. That's my rating on that. I don't know. So, Delvin, what's your rating on the song? Wow. I wasn't ready for this either. Me neither. Though, actually, the first line leading to the chorus is very unforgettable. There's no doubt about that. And then I liked the uh, cover that oh, was yeah. done no. by the uh, woman in New Orleans. Yes. Yeah. I like that. I almost like, yeah, I almost like that better. Which oh, is belting it. Yeah, which was weird because like the song was great by itself, and then I heard that kind of different. Cover. She had a little different beat to it. Yeah, well, too. Or I was like, ooh, she was sassier. Yeah, yeah. sassy. Type. So, so I'm gonna. I'll, I'll agree with you. I'll go four out of five, okay. and it's in, tilting towards five out of five because that's definitely one of the best Bond songs out there. Yeah, I'll four out of five. That's that's good. Yeah, Jared. Well, boys, I know it's not popular. I find this to be an overrated Bond song. Right. It's a little too disjointed for me. Although I don't think it's bad. Everybody, calm down out there in podcast land. I don't think it's bad. And here's an interesting take on it. I think it's interesting. When I hear it on the radio, three out of five, better than average, good song. When I watch it in the opening credits and I can see the beautiful woman's face turn into a skull on yeah. that beat, four out of five. Yeah. When I get that cool visual. <laughs> 
bum, bum. Yeah. That goes to a four out of five. But when I just hear it, I find it a little too jointed. There's like a reggae part and a rock part, and it's not bad. It's just I'm more of a real smooth Bond song, you know, Shirley Bassey guy. But so three out of five on the radio, four out of five when I see it in the opening credits. No, I hear that. Jason? Four out of five, solid. Almost give it a five out of five. Not just because of the title song, but how it's overlaid throughout the course of the movie. They that do use true. it well they in the do. score. Yeah. You do hear it throughout. And I was impressed with that as you do hear different parts of it throughout the good yeah. point. Good point. Yeah, so I think for me it's four out of five solid. Admittedly I might be burned out on it because as we talked about yeah, on the last episode, I went and saw Live and Let Die in Montgomery with my son. About an hour and fifteen minute drive. All the way up and all the way back. I listened to that Bond soundtrack and I Ooh. might have just burnt myself out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. But I did. And Jordan was like, Can we put something else on? And I was like, Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody know what it got on the charts at the time? I do. Oh, I read about it. Oh, it, yeah. it, made, cool. it made it up to number two, right. if I'm not mistaken. It is one of the most commercially successful ones. The different locations, again, is... Where were they? Louisiana or... New Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah. Was it that exotic of a place that they needed to be in? There's a... St- Story there Could because they not it go didn't, somewhere else for a, the story didn't originally have a New Orleans beat. And I, I want to say it boiled down to like Guy Hamilton was just like, I want to go to New Orleans. Okay. And they found a way to make the story do that. That's a very simplified version, but I think I'm on to something there. Because they moved around. I thought in this one, they moved around in different places a lot, right? And you have to remember three different places New right. York, San, San Martinique, San Monique, which was actually Jamaica, New Orleans. and New Orleans. Okay. But keep in mind, I know New Orleans, again, doesn't seem exotic to us, but for the British audience, well, okay. it is exotic. Really, it was picked because of the boat chase. The boat chase was pretty central to the ah. to the story, yep, yep. and they were looking for a good place to do the boat chase, and they liked the little island homes down there in the bayou, sure. and so that's actually one of the first scenes that they actually filmed. Um, and they said, we can launch over it. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of, yeah. I mean, because they, like, literally... How many times did they get (laughs) (laughs) Launching the boats over these little islands and then, like, okay. Well, the one over the... How many times do I need to see that, though? (laughs) The the one over the road, uh, for a while, had the world record. And there was a Guinness record setter. Yeah. Oh, really? There's actually a few Guinness record setters in Bond movies. Yeah. The one over the Sheriff Pepper's car, I think. Yeah, I think so. We're all coming back. That surprised me. I I knew you said that there would be a time when he would come back uh-huh. or, or some something. Right. I before. dropped a little clue when we talked to yeah. Dr. No in our first episode. And then I'm like, is that? Then with you, you're like, oh yeah, that's Coral and Coral Jr. So I thought that was kind of neat. I like Coral Jr. But Very helpful. Yep. Does he come back at all anymore? Or? I won't lie to you, he does not return no. anymore. Watching it with you guys made me think, we always talk about who's your favorite helper, Karen Bay, Tiger Tanaka, or Draco. Coral should be there. Coral Jr. Junior. He got to do that. He, did. he, he did. took care of the poppy yeah. 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 He got the job done. He had the hard work. I like that. The good to see the trap. Now we all have had problems or just joke around with you put Bond in a three wall room. <laughs> <laughs> Blofeld's particularly good that. Yeah, the Blofeld. Here plan. you put him in no walls in the center of an island. <laughs> And oh, with, the, with, the, with the Crocs. Yeah, with the Crocs. And the staff goes away. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to watch that guy? I would have been like, Why wouldn't you watch to make sure something's getting done? I want to point out that that same thing happened at the end of the Shark Tank. He was able to cut the rope, swing down, because Kananga was walking away up the stairs and Whisper yeah. was doing something. I'm like, who wouldn't want to watch a kitty by a shark? Or, or, you, 
Or you would think, like, since they had guns, they literally had guns. <laughs> shoot them in the ankle. And, like, yeah, like, we're going to, uh, yeah, if you you escape, you're still going to get a be crippled. We'll beat your tail after that. <laughs> or shoot them in the head. Or, yeah, or shoot them in the head. But if you want to make a sport of it, shoot them in the ankle. Like, have the freaking Crocs be attracted to the blood. And he's crippled. Yeah, yeah. Nope, let's leave an able-bodied super agent. <laughs> <laughs> but no one watching. With no one watching yeah. to figure this out. If we get him again, though, yeah. drinks. <laughs> it, it, it should be the fella gets whoever gets, gets him. Gets him. Yeah, I was just say, gets him. yeah, ruthless towards them, but not so much the guy they're actually chasing. The police, they could have probably caught him quicker than <laughs> Sheriff Jane W. Pepper. What are you, boy? Some kind of doomsday machine? <laughs> Well done. I've been waiting to say that. <laughs> Overall, lot, lots of action. The boat chase scene was long. I will have to admit that. <laughs> oh, wait. You're going to bring another boat into this town? <laughs> A lot of boats you know, in that boat. The yellow tank top guy is not enough. you got to get Pepper's nephew or whatever it is. Or, well, I guess not even, but you got to get that boat in to help out. One side of the family don't get him. The side will. <laughs> Whisper as the henchman. Yeah. And uh, who's the, the other guy with the arm? Tee. Okay. His arm, they could have, could they have done that a little bit better? That was so, like, he's holding on to a It did. It seems like he was totally holding on to a fake hand. Yeah. Or something like that. And it's like, really? And they didn't really have the effects back then. I had to do what they could. It looked a lot better when Spawn ripped the sleeve off in the train. Because then they were using, like, there was, like, a mechanic on the arm. But most other times it looked like a guy holding a. Yeah. Yeah. Why does Whisper whisper? There's rumors that one time he was careless. <laughs> careless? careless. Aren't they not a good friend? <laughs> so he's never. Ignorance is blind. <laughs> There's no comfort in the truth. Pain. It's hard, you're fine. I'm taking my hero power to Oh, speaking of Tara, I got a Jane Seymour. She's my number one Bond right now. Uh, Bond yeah. girl, number one Bond girl, you Jane know, Seymour. I ran a poll on Twitter not too terribly long ago. We talked about favorite Bond girl. One really poll, just like mm-hmm. put a pic of your, and she got a lot of pics. She was up. beautiful. Jane Seymour, open heart. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> open your heart, and love will find a way. <laughs> But I've always liked Jane. I've always had a thing for uh, Jane Seymour. No, not the medicine woman. Uh, it was the movie Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve. You are a big oh, fan. Yeah, that's. A, I'm a big Somewhere in Time Laserdisc DVD <laughs> soundtrack. <laughs> Um, yes. Poster. Poster. If I, no, I don't have a poster. But if I do, if someone out there wants to send me a restraining order. No, but I enjoyed her and, and she looked very nice in that. She um, did look good. In that movie as well, too. So that is one of my top movies, is Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeves. You got Superman and you have Beautiful Girl. Yeah. 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 Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Smoke if you got them. Uh, smoke count is two. We have James smoking a cigar when he's getting ready and taking a bath. Who take you know? <laughs> <laughs> taking a bath. He's got this tray. Mm-hmm. 
and he's shaving like that, and they don't have a shower in that room? There was a shower. It was a bath shower combo because the snake came down behind the shower. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. I'm like, well, why are you just taking a shower? You can't smoke a cigar in the shower. You're, now you're being ridiculous. He, he smoked <laughs> it after he got out, though. No, right, he was yeah. sitting there with a the TV point. tray. Good point. Good point. Was he going to eat something? Yeah, it's like an old just, school thing that you could bring in a bath like and you could put your do your shaving there and mm-hmm. like, your mirror and everything yeah. on it why didn't he just bring his toys little Sean Connery toys toys to say that. Oh, like a rubber ducky yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rubber ducky you're the one Bond likes the rubber ducky he smoked there and then he smoked in the hang glider right yep yep was there a reason why he was doing it in the hang glider he was bored bored oh, yeah. had the light went up they were like circling around the alley like toad right yeah okay. Coral Jr. helping out again how he doesn't make the helpers list we need to make sure he starts making helpers list yeah definitely but yeah he was definitely on cigars instead of cigarettes because he wanted to be different from Connery he also does not order a vodka martini yep he orders what bourbon 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 something neat no ice. That's extra, man. That's extra. <laughs> but yeah, the, he wanted to do a couple things to kind of distance himself from Connery. So he wants cigars instead of cigarettes and bourbon instead of martini. But I think that'll change and that kind of goes away. Yeah. Let's go to player. Double O player. I don't think there was a lot going on here for a player. I got another agent, I think, in his bedroom. Agent Caruso. She was missing from the Italian government and... She was in his closet. <laughs> I think we figured out where she was. Mm-hmm. The other is Rose. Yep. Yeah. Duplicitous Agent Carver. And then Solitaire, Jane Seymour. We did debate last night, I believe it was last night after we watched the film, like how difficult it would be to be her second lover. Yeah. <laughs> like, she lost her virginity to Bond and then she slept with Bond multiple times, you know, and he's obviously billed as this wonderful lover. Like the next guy's like, What's up? You you, <laughs> you smell good. <laughs> your hair is pretty. What are, you, what are you doing with your hand? Uh, James never did that. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole bunch of James didn't do this, James did that. You know. He's more satisfying. You, you elevate. <laughs> When worlds collide. That's what I got. Good thoughts. Well done to all agents. It's almost time for Jason to weigh in on things, but I cheated and I booked his script, so I know he's not going to cover this. I think an interesting item of note is this movie was actually a big step forward for a guy named, I think it's Eddie Smith. And Eddie Smith was one of the founders of the Black Stuntmen's Association. Up until this point, a lot of action movies, there just wasn't a lot of work for black stuntmen. And frankly, it was a lot of white actors in blackface when when they would have black characters that needed to do some kind of big stunt. And this guy, Eddie Smith, sort of led the charge. Like, we need more black stuntmen. Let's use real black people. Let's create jobs for these folks that want jobs. And he was a stuntman himself. And I just think it kind of speaks well of the Bond franchise and Kevin Broccoli who said absolutely we've got this big you know lots of black characters let's get some real black stuntmen so just a tip of the cap for Eddie Smith for pushing that and a tip of the cap to Kevin Broccoli and Harry Saltzman for kind of breaking that barrier here cool. here yeah 
that's cool. very cool. Very cool. That's a good bomb. That beats all the bombs I have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I won't lie. I'd heard that before. I'd seen it in like a documentary and kind of forgot it. And then when I went to see Live and Let Die at the theater in Montgomery a couple months ago with Jordan, there's a guy who comes up and gives you some factoids about the movie before it starts. And he kind of hit that one. I was like, got to remember to bring that up in the podcast because that's kind of a cool historical moment in film in general. Back to you, Jason. I guess my thoughts on the film, I got a couple high points and a couple low points. My main high point is I think Roger Moore did a great job coming out of the gate as James Bond. What difficult shoes to fill. Yes. Uh, the amount of pressure that he had to feel at that time must have been overwhelming, almost overwhelming. But I think the scene that really stamped his mark on there is when he meets Mr. Big for the first time. The names are for tombstones, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And during that scene, that's the first time he says, my name's Bond, James Bond. And he's surrounded by all those minions and he's just unflappable. He like bends his gun 90 degrees and he just calmly, like without looking, just drops it in the trash can. And then when he's being led away by those two guards, (laughs) after he flipped over the lover's card with solitaire, he's like, now don't run away, darling. I won't be long. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. He showed a tremendous amount of confidence. He looked completely sorted out in that smooth suit. Yeah. And I try to imagine Connery doing that scene and being sort of cool and flippant. And I think Roger Moore owns the scene. See, I know th- to me, Jane Seymour is so young looking in that. Yeah. To see her with Connery. Oh, yeah. Like, no. <laughs> like early 70s, Harry Knuckles, Connery. <laughs> I love you, Grandpa. <laughs> Wait, what? Well, Shut up. <laughs> just, just a reminder, Roger Moore is actually three years old. But he's <laughs> young. I know, but don't, don't let that get in the way of a good so David Hedison, I guess, and Roger Moore were close friends. They'd worked together on several projects before, and and so he was brought on as Felix Leiter to just kind of give Roger Moore some moral support and a familiar yeah. face and a little bit more comfortable working environment. So I think mm-hmm. that pairing worked really well. I think there was tremendous chemistry, obviously, between Felix Leiter and James Bond that you really pick up there. So I think that was another good thing. Does he one more time? Back? Yeah, we'll one more back. time. One in a really key movie for his role. Okay. I can't wait till we get there, but it's going to be a little while. It's going to be a little while. It's one of yeah. Jared's favorites. It is my favorite. Okay. Why I, I think it's why I love Edison so much. And his performance in Live and Let Die, good. His performance in License to Kill, Amazing! Oh, that's a while. Yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be a minute to get there, but it's worth the trip. Okay, good then. Amazing. <laughs> if you like him in this one, he's he's got a kind of a bigger role to play, I guess. And yeah, I'd say in some ways it's definitely a bigger. It's a big plot driver. I didn't mind him. I thought he was fine. I, I liked him. I almost thought that he was treated like the help. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Like I was kind of a, almost a little bit piggish to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as much as a uh, hey, buddy, uh, as a yeah. buddy. <laughs> Yeah, like clean up my mess. Stay for this bill. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of comedic value, but yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah. And another thing that I like too is when I watch this movie, I'm just reminded, even though they're not in the movies a lot, the importance of the characters of M and Miss Moneypenny, and even though he wasn't in this movie, Q, because really, this is like his core. This is his core group, and this is the group that really doesn't put up with his BS. They're the ones that see through him, and Miss Moneypenny demonstrated that well with her reaction and subsequent conversation with James Bond at the beginning. M has no tolerance for his BS at all. None at all. That's always good because we get to see the flippant, the suave, the the indestructible, but then when he's there,
there with that group, that's when he's really at his most vulnerable. And, yeah. and we see him as a human being and we see him through their eyes as a flawed human being. And, and I think that's always important too, to kind of bring him back to reality. Was there a reason why Q was not there? Scriptwise, does anybody know, or why they didn't? I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. I don't know if it was just a matter of his availability, or it's just wondering because you know, he's not in every movie. All right, but it's odd to have a gadget Show and up. not have Q, yeah. which brings me to the thing that now I'm going to the things I didn't quite like is if you remember back in Goldfinger with the ejector seat, there was the argument between Guy Hamilton who just wanted to show that the ejector seat during that scene and Cubby Broccoli says, no, we have to show the audience the gadget and then he gets to use the mm-hmm. ejector seat. Well, they went backwards with that with the buzzsaw yeah. on the watch. Yeah, right? It's almost like that was added later on to go, oh, how's he going to get out yeah. of this? <laughs> right. not, you know. Yeah, so again, it seemed like it was weird to have a gadget there that we didn't have Q show us and so when we saw him tied up there with the watch and we're like, ah, no, he's going to get out of this. I didn't care for that so much. The other thing that really bothered me is the same scene when he rocks back and then swings and kicks Whisper into the little container. I could never figure out what happened to Solitaire. Did she do like a triple flip off that mount <laughs> at some point? Because she's on it with him and then she's not on it again. Which brings me to my final criticism is again Guy Hamilton. I know again he's a great bomb director yada 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 but he keeps leaving like plot holes that you can drive a truck through. One of the things we didn't even talk about was when Kananga made the comment about where James Bond you killed one of my men up in New York. Still can't figure out yeah. who, <laughs> who did you kill? <laughs> you beat the crap out of a couple. I don't know maybe you kicked that one in the heart so hard he died. <laughs> but again it seems kind of like his directing is a little disjointed. Sometimes he forgets where he's going. So there are some pretty important plot holes in there. I did find some stuff about why Q isn't in there and it's not crystal clear. There's a couple of theories. One says that Desmond Llewellyn was working on a TV series and was unavailable. One said that he wasn't in the book uh, so they didn't feel it necessary, but I don't know. This one's not terribly like the book. No. So I don't know about that one. Another one that I think kind of makes sense is they realized that they didn't have any parts of the film that were shot at MI6. And they're like, we already have him coming to his house with Money Penny. It gets ridiculous if Q's like, hey, I'm coming to your house too. <laughs> so since he never went to MI6, they were like, Q's at home. Yeah, I, I guess. So uh, right. none of this is crystal clear. This is just a couple of. Well, I mean, they had Q go. Yeah, it's the. Not crystal clear, but they had Q go in the field to give him a little Nelly. Yeah, Q will go into the field a couple of times throughout the series. And, and someone pointed out, too, I, I did think it was a little silly that Bond would explain the wristwatch to M. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a, actually a magnet. Like, M doesn't pay attention yeah. to the briefings. <laughs> He's not signing off on the paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, that one. I like that one. A little weird. Yeah, I, just, I, I just paid $8 million for a watch, dude. Really? <laughs> but yeah, a couple of theories. Nothing's really pinned down. What sounds to me is like more legit is that he was probably working on a TV show mm-hmm. or something. And yeah, I could buy that. Yeah, so that's basically it. And then I think we touched on it, the most ridiculous final death scene. <laughs> of it. There's not one that's worse. I'll tell you that right now. It's kind of sad because this was probably one of the best rogues galleries that oh, yeah. we'll see in the Bond movies. Do you think it's because they tried too many people? What do you mean? Too many rogues? You know what I mean? You had Teehee, you had Whisper, you had... Baron um, Samdy. Well, let's face it. Whisper yeah. may still be alive. Yes, uh, Baron Samby. Okay, Mr. Seven Up. Yeah, yeah. Um, J. Davy Pepper's brother in law. 
taxi cab driver guy, goat head with snake wait, wait, guy. Wait, There's like a ton of memorable mm-hmm. villains in the movie. But like, yeah, that inflatable death, that pop balloon, just yeah. weird. There are just so many ways directorially that they could have gone with that. And made it make sense. Made, made, made well, yeah, sense. they were like sharks in the water, right? Just knock them in the water with sharks. Yeah, or just show like, you know, the <laughs> water boiling or, you know, like from the gas <laughs> those, thing and the sharks. Do scars ever show up again? No. Interesting um, question. You know, Fantastic. Did we ever see Bond's tic- scars? He just yeah. detectoed them a little bit. Nah, they don't ever show up again. No. Yeah. Bond's got a good plastic. While we're talking about amusing deaths, though, we all got a big laugh out of the, how Baron Samedy went out. <laughs> he came out of that grave. He had the machete. He spun around. He was talking voodoo trash. Literally, like, punch, punch. I fell in a box of snakes. Game over. We were just cracking up, like, okay, who's next? <laughs> Those are my highs and lows. I think I kind of scored this one kind of middle of the road. I think it was a good starter film for Roger Moore and mm-hmm. great rogues gallery. And, you know, David has him. I, I really like him. It's, it's Felix Leiter as well. Not bad. So I'll just move on to the Bond bombs now. I've got three as usual. The first is that the owner of the alligator farm, where they filmed the thrilling Bond escape from that little island surrounded by alligators, the owner's name was Ross Kananga. And that's where they got the inspiration for the villain's name. Mm. And also, fact number two, Ross Kananga doubled for Roger Moore during the alligator escape when he runs across the heads. They tied down the gators, and Kananga made a heart-stopping, I think, five attempts before being able to run across all of the alligators' backs and safely to the other side. It's four more than I would have done. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, it's five more than yeah. <laughs> I got it right on a fifth try, really. <laughs> I flew it on the first. And then finally, Roger Moore actually went to a psychic reading while he was filming in Jamaica. And they have a film of it that you can see if you have Blu-ray. The psychic revealed that Roger would have a son and that he would become a great humanitarian. Roger's son was actually conceived during the filming of Live and Let Die, and Sir Roger would go on to do great works as an ambassador for UNICEF. Psychic was in the zone. Mm-hmm. Psychic cool. Call me now. <laughs> Call me now. I'm your free bumble card reading. A lot of mercy. Is that old Chappelle show? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's too good of an opportunity to pass up. One of the major plot points that we missed in the movie was that Kananga, Mr. Big, had a thing for solitaire. And what he was probably thinking was, I'm the one who wants to be with you. I couldn't help it. It had to be said. Mr. Big reference. <laughs> and with those 007 trivia nuggets safely tucked away, it is time to have our rookie agents score this film. So it's time to break out the martini glasses, and I believe Delvin's starting off today. So, Delvin, how many martinis will you give this film? Not a lot. Uh-oh. I give it three martinis. Ooh. Sir wow. Roger. Now, I... That's like, right, laddie. <laughs> three martinis for that penalty. Connery approved. I, I want to say that I liked Roger Moore. He was very likable. So the three martinis has nothing to do with him. The movie itself was aimless. It was almost like I mentioned how I did not enjoy that they had the major plot point to start it to where they didn't even do the cutaway, really, you know, that they do that separate from the movie. This was simple to the plot point that they had 
had the agents die and then they just barely glanced over it. So it was this conflict of ridiculous plot points or lack thereof combined with characters that were pretty cool. But I'm big on plot and I'm big on Sneaky Bond, of course. But you have to have a coherent story. I'll even take it being a slightly dull or longer movie if there's a story that makes sense from start to finish. And this one, the story didn't make sense. It wasn't boring, but it was dull. That's the reason I'm giving it through Martinis. But I'm looking forward to Roger Moore's run. I think that he played a great Bond. There was that period with George Lazenby where I was just kind of like, is this going to work with him? And then finally settling in. I never thought that at all with Roger Moore. From the very start, he looked the part. He acted the part. He was great in the movie. And Mr. Big was great. It was just the plot that they threw them in. It just kind of wound up being this jumbled mess. And I, that I didn't like about it. With Roger Moore, do you think him in that role from you knowing that he's Bond made you think, oh yeah, I, I know it's him. Let's go. I know he's going to be around for a while. Then I literally have never before. I literally never watched Lazenby or Roger Moore yeah. okay. be James Bond. Blank slates. I love yeah. like, completely blank slate. So yes, I know that Roger Moore played Bond. I know enough about general trivia to know that his run on Bond equal Sean Connery's as far as number of movies, but I'd never seen him in action before. Right. So I mean, when I saw him, like you mentioned about the scene about him being dragged away and like, I'd be, be like, hon, you know, like, it just, he was he was just charming and, and at the same time unflappable when he was cut on the arm and he didn't even flinch. He was just like, <laughs> like, it, like it, it very cool moments, jumbled mess of a movie. Yeah, they didn't look for Strutter very hard, did they? <laughs> I like Strutter a lot. He had a lot of funny lines and he helped Bond out and then all of a sudden I was like, well, I guess Strutter's gone. Yeah. Anybody see Strutter? All right. Three martinis from Delvin. Pat, it's to you. What are you going to give this one? I am kind of feeling the same way Delvin is, but I'm going to raise it just a little bit and go give it a four. Jane Seymour. (laughs) (laughs) Worth a whole martini. (laughs) She's worth a whole martini. (laughs) Action was good. Roger Moore playing Bond sold me as well. Could they have done better plot holes in that? Yeah, giving it a four. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Now it's time to crown this episode's double O award winner. I think this is why most people tune into the show. They probably skipped this part. Pat and Delvin will do this by answering a series of trivia questions on Live and Let Die. Delvin is the current champion. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to thank our Patreon sponsors. White Rocket Entertainment. So I'm pinch-hitting for Jared because his voice is shot from being at the con all day. So I'll go ahead and read all of the patrons for Patreon. We appreciate your help and your support in these endeavors. That keeps us on the air. We have Joseph Fine, Christopher Burleson, Samuel Salvatore, Stephen Thompson, Phil Amthor at WeHaveDonuts.com. I've always wanted to read that. <laughs> we have Steve Trawick. He doesn't have donuts. Richard Stevens. <laughs> Justin Bean, Chris Usher, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Neil Dyer, David Evers, Tom Anderson, Timothy, Timmy, Timmy, <laughs> Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Steve Harlan, Andrew Barber, Gerard Alberich, Rich Reimer, Bill Matthews, Will Summerford, John McCoon, Catherine England, Ann Kungian, David Sampson, Josh Teal, Mike Finley, Randall Walker, C.T. Wayne, Earl Ricks, War Eagle Earl, Dave Powell, Michael Kirshner, Mick, Vic, Vigicana. Woo! 
Ooh, that's a name. <laughs> Mick Vigicana, Matt Robenheimer, Chris Thrash, Logan Chilton, George Gaston, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Clay Henson, J.W. Rice, Wardam Wade, David Medinas, Mark Squire, Joey Miller, Matthew Wagstaff, Russell Milling, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor. Anybody? Thank you, baby. Oh. <laughs> John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Brant Rumble. Is that a real name? Nicholas <laughs> That's all right with me. Nicholas Craig. You ain't got to lie, Craig. You ain't got to lie. Ruth and Sutherland. Patrick Williams. That might be my cousin. Plus, our one-time and anonymous donors. Uh, if we missed anyone, we apologize. We will do our best to get you on the next podcast. Thank you for that, Delvin. That's very helpful. If you'd like to help pay off our casino debts at Willard White's White House, you too can help sponsor our show over at Patreon.com. Just search the keyword Plexico, P-L-E-X-I-C-O, and you can give as little as $1 a month to help Agent Jason fix his moon buggy. And like those other folks whose names you just heard, you'll get a shout-out on every episode of all White Rocket Entertainment shows, including this one. As a Patreon, you also get bonus material and behind-the-scenes information on all White Rocket endeavors, including our novels, comic books, and more. Okay, let's find out who this mission's trivia double O award winner is going to be so he can lord it over the other guy until the next episode. Agent Jared and I have each prepared three questions for a total of six. We'll take turns asking each of our contestants a question. You get it right, that's one point. You get it wrong, your opponent has an opportunity for a steal. Most points get you the coveted double O award, Dutch lessons, and Pictures of the canal for the children <laughs> while supplies last, oh, not available oh, oh, oh. in all areas. <laughs> this is the first non-tantalizing one. Let's start the segment we like to call Agents Agent Under, Under Fire. Fire. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. The current champion is Delvin. Delvin, you want to go first or second today? Second. Second. Pat, who do you want to read your questions? I'm going to pick you. I love you too, Pat. So you're going second. You know, every time, I forgot we're doing every time I read the questions, you win. Does it? Yeah. Oh, well then, can I change my... <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing. I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, in my head, every time that Jared reads the questions, I win too. Oh. 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 <laughs> All right. Now, I know Pat's tired. I know he's worn out. Yeah. But like every good agent, sometimes you got to dig deep. you got to want it. Dig deep. Um, no pressure, but, you know, if you win, I'm kicking you out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, you're going first. I'm reading your question. Are you ready? Yes. All right, Pat. What was the name of the treacherous CIA agent and James Bond's first African-American lover? First, oh, I mean, Rosie Carver. Rosie Carver is correct. Yeah. She was beautiful. Delvin. Sheriff J.W. Pepper has a relative with the fastest boat on the bayou. What is their relation? Cousin. That's what you thought it was. I did, and I was wrong, and you were Ooh. wrong as well. Do I get a chance to steal? You get a chance. You do? I'm going to say nephew. Wow. Oh. Wow. Sheriff J.W. Pepper's brother-in-law. Oh, that's my, that's Billy Bob. That's my brother-in-law. One side of the family don't get him, get him. the other side will. <laughs> One zero. What restaurant chain is a front for Mr. Big's drug empire? Filet of Soul. Very good. Oh. What did James purchase from the voodoo shop in Harlem? Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was some kind of stick. It was like a cane or something because he asked the person to wrap it vertically. Lengthwise. Lengthwise. So you got that part right. But all I can think of is like a cane. Patrick? Snake? It was a stuffed snake. I think it's just academic. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just pride points that you don't get shut out now, my friend. Well, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> and, I and I didn't take notes. <laughs> Maybe you need to stop taking so many yeah, notes. Stop taking notes. Man. <laughs> <laughs> stop taking notes and get really easy questions. <laughs> I could have answered his questions. <laughs> also, <laughs> Pat, this is your difficult level question. What was the name of the agent that was killed by a snake bite at the beginning of the film? Hey, an actual question of difficulty. <laughs> Too late to really do a damn thing. Ruthers? That's awesome. <laughs> Did I get it? Smell like something. Nah. No. Southers? I don't know. Dale? It was Baines. Boom, we got a point. There you oh. go. All right, I'll give you your last question here. So, according to Teehee, what are the two ways to incapacitate a crocodile? There's a pressure point, like, behind the eyes. Very good. Very good. Wow. Or you can... He made a joke about pulling out its teeth. Nailed yeah, it. That's it. Nailed it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's come back. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Three to two. Three to two? I'm going to be a spoil sport about this because of that first question alone. The first easy question. <laughs> it's most appropriate before you read the celebratory speech based off of that first question, you know, with the help of that. What are you, boys? Some kind of doomsday <laughs> machine? And now Delvin has accused Pat of being a doomsday machine. <laughs> Pat's a secret agent. On who's side? All right, congratulations to Pat. You want it. You keep it, old buddy. Yay! Be sure to do the right and proper thing and do not bring this up for the rest of the trip. <laughs> I will wait till I am safely at home. Okay. And then, then talk crap about it. Talk crap. All All right. So we change the script a little bit. If there's a way I could give my winnings to Delvin, I would. All right. I understand. So you did get Dutch lessons and a picture of canals (laughs) for the children. So you're really losing. That's true. That's true. (laughs) I wouldn't take those. Now for our semi-final segment of the show entitled Return Fire. During Return Fire, rookie agents Pat and Delvin get to toss Jason and I a trivia question that he brought with them in an attempt to stump the double O experts. Let's get going with Return Fire. This never happened to the other fellow. What you got? The band that played at the, um, well, two times in the movie mm-hmm. uh, to do their whole killing thing, they were the Olympia Brass Band. That's not the question. Dang it. I was hoping that was the question. That is not the question okay. that I was going to ask. The question that I am going to ask is, before they make that turn, that big turn, mm-hmm. what street are they on in New Orleans? That's a, ooh, they show the streets, huh? Yes, they, they do. do. They do. They absolutely do. And I looked for it, and it was like... It ain't ain't bourbon, then. Wow, that's the only street I know in New Orleans, so I'm saying bourbon, and I don't think it's right. Fourth Street. (laughs) It is neither bourbon nor Fourth Street. It is Dumaine Street. Well Well done. I don't even know if JVR guys could have snagged that one now. Boy, that's rough. I saw that and was like, that is a good question. What was funny is, while we were watching it, so out of my eye, I saw him writing it down, I was like, Olympia. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking, too. 
Yeah, Pat can save us, man. Give us something easy. What three cards did Felix Slater give Bond? When oh, we found these left behind the burnt cards. Yeah, death yeah, was one. Priestess, the priestess lovers. Yeah, I guess so. Death, priestess, and the lovers. It was high priestess, moon, oh, and death. Ah, moon. Uh, would, moon. Yeah, I would never got moon. Yeah, I remember we didn't do good today. No, I wait. I got another question. Oh, okay, another question. Another right. question. Maybe we can redeem ourselves. Try not. Let's do it so well. I'm, I'm not looking for redemption. She I'm looking for bullet holes. <laughs> <laughs> so angry. He's taking so bitter. Hey, hey, hey. Dylan just pulled off a mask off of his face. Give <laughs> <laughs> him a whole new guy. Yeah, I pulled off a bad mask. It's like, it still looked like you, dude. <laughs> Yeah, did you for, touch that? For the record, did you touch that? that did not fool Delvin one bit. The no, whole, the whole Mr. Big mask. Were you fooled at all, Pat? Like, did you think Mr. Big and Kanaga were two different people until the mask reveal? It's okay. You know, I, I I guess I didn't really realize. Well, not that it was two different people. I was just, with all that, the whole day and all that, it was just, I was just watching the movie. So, oh, so you were, like, super paying attention. No, I, well, yeah, because they tried to hide it in shadows. I'm like... No. It was like they did the whole dramatic pulling around. So I'm like, it still looked like you, dude. So, so one more question. It's a number question. The bus. And it was a double-decker bus. And then it went under the bridge where it knocked the top level off of it. What was the height in inches? Nine foot six inches. That's what I remember because it showed the sign. Nine six it is. Bam! We redeem ourselves. Woo! <laughs> Got one. Woo! <laughs> See, the first one was my easy question. So angry, so angry. <laughs> Nicely done, guys. Agent Jared, what do we have in the eyes only mailbag this week? What, no small talk? No chit chat? Thank you, Jason. As a reminder to our audience, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send us your questions or comments or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on our Twitter page at ohmspod. If you'd like to, you can even use that email. And as a reminder, that's ohmspod at outlook.com to send us an audio recording of your question or comment, and we might even play it on the show. Please try to keep your audio file to around 30 seconds or less, which nobody does. That's fine. (laughs) Actually, we really get some great comments. So if you do them great, we're going to play them. And we would love to hear from you and make you a part of the show. Also, if you're an iTunes listener, we greatly appreciate it if you left us a review for the show. That will help raise our show's profile and attract more of the 007 family to this program. As a reward for leaving a review, we will read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rookie Agents. Which leads us to our semi-regular feedback segment from Ruth and Darren, also known as RAD, because we call them the research and development team here, for their RAD thoughts on Bond. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're with Research and Development Q Branch, and we're here to share our thoughts about Live and Let Die. This is Roger Moore's first James Bond film, and over the next 12 years, he would star in seven 007 movies. Roger Moore was already a star from the long-running 1960s TV series The Saint, in which he played Simon Templer, who righted wrongs and helped those in need, even if it meant breaking the law in the name of a greater good. The Bond producers previously tried to cast Roger Moore as James Bond on two previous occasions. 
He was their first choice instead of Sean Connery when casting Dr. No, and he was their first choice for On Her Majesty's Secret Service when Sean Connery left the role. However, Moore declined the role both times because of his work on The Saint. He was co-owner of the production company that made the TV series, which was quite lucrative for him since the series was successful around the world. The Saint was a light-hearted adventure series, and the character of Simon Templer was witty, and Roger Moore played him with a twinkle in his eye, and would even occasionally look directly at the camera and talk to the audience. He would also wink and grin at the camera when a glowing halo would appear above his head during the opening sequence of each episode. The 007 producers happily took advantage of the Saints' popularity, and the James Bond movies took on a lighter tone with an increase in humor during Roger Moore's time on the series. We were never fortunate to meet Roger Moore, but our friend and fellow Bond fan Paul from Belfast was able to attend his one-man show in the UK a few years ago, and Paul waited in the long line after the performance to get a signed copy of his book, Bond on Bond. Fans of Q, like us, will sadly notice that the character is missing from this movie. Desmond Llewellyn was starring in a TV series in the UK at the time, which conflicted with the production schedule. Llewellyn wanted to be in the movie and arranged a three-episode leave of absence from the series so he would be available. But then the producers decided to reduce the use of gadgets in the film and cut Q from the script before production began. In a bit of trivia, there were 26 Glastron speedboats built for the film and 17 of them were destroyed during production. We were lucky to see one of the remaining boats at the Bond in Motion exhibit in London. And in other trivia, the alligator and crocodile farm featured in the film was a real place that the producers discovered while scouting for locations. It was owned by Ross Kananga, which prompted the producers to name the film's villain after him. Ross Kananga suggested the stunt of having Bond leap across the backs of several alligators in a daring escape, and he performed the stunt himself. And now it's time for 007 Hits and Misses, when we share our thoughts on two low points and seven high points in the film. I think the biggest low point is the character of Sheriff J.W. Pepper. I don't fault the actor because Clifton James does a great job with the role he's given, and you find yourself laughing at many of his scenes. But there's a lot of discomfort associated with those laughs that make it difficult to fully enjoy those scenes. And I'll fault the death of Dr. Kananga, which sadly comes across laughably. It certainly isn't a very satisfactory ending for the character. However, the highs in this film are many, and they make the film tons of fun and easily elevate it above those couple of lows. Number 7. The opening funeral scene with a slow procession featuring just a closer walk with thee before transitioning into a celebration following the assassination of the agent. Number 6. The theme song is fantastic and still ranks as one of my favorite Bond themes. Interestingly, when the producers signed Paul McCartney to compose the theme, they didn't expect him to also sing it, so they had hired B.J. Arno. However, once they realized Paul McCartney and Wings were going to perform the song as well, the producers added a scene at the nightclub where Arnaud could perform his version of the song. Number 5. David Hedison as Felix Leiter. We're fans of him from the fun TV series Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and he's great as Felix. And he gets another chance to play the role in the future, but that story will have to wait for another time. Number 4. The tarot cards that have the 007 logo on the back of them. It's subtle, so casual viewers won't notice, but fans are treated to an inside meta joke. Number 3. Jeffrey Holder. I've always been a fan of his, and his performance as the Baron and his hearty laugh and deep bass voice are just perfect for the film. Jeffrey Holder was a Tony Award-winning Broadway performer, choreographer, and costume designer, and will be remembered by multiple generations for his fun 7-Up commercials. Number 2. The interracial romance between James Bond and Rosie Carver, played by Gloria Hendry. This is a great counterpoint to the character of Sheriff Pepper and shows the diversity of cultural opinions that existed in society then and now. 
And number one is Yafit Kodo as Dr. Kananga. Kodo struggled with the role once he saw some of the stereotypes in the script. He then rewrote some of his dialogue and changed the characterization of Kananga to create a more believable villain. And by doing that, he helped elevate this film above what it could have been. I agree. He's great. And I love the way he delivers so many of his lines. My favorite is, I gave you a 50-50 chance and you weren't even close. Thank you, Jared, Jason, Delvin, and Pat for letting us share our thoughts on your excellent podcast. Remember, we're RAD, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren, and Research and Development. Rad thoughts, fellas. They help clear up the mystery of the cube. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They, without even having listened to it beforehand, they filled in a lot of gaps of the questions that we had. Mm-hmm. Like, really? That's awesome. Asian Sheriff J.W. Pepper. <laughs> yeah. The one part that I had, I mean, and again, it was like the whole uses of calling a black man boy. Yeah. That's a very play trope, but it's the 70s, which of course doesn't make it any better. But it was more allowed back then and unfortunately could have been a lot worse than that. So I think they just wanted to kind of, ugh. But again, it wasn't so over the top where I was just like, oh my God, this whole thing is crap. So, you know, at one point in my life when I became more, I guess, socially aware, I thought, oh, you know, Sheriff J.W. Pepper calls the black guy boy. And I thought, eh, it's not very cool. But I tell you what made it a little not as bad for me is he calls Bob Boy, he calls the guy in the oyster truck boy. He calls mm-hmm. multiple people, not just black characters. So I thought, well, maybe it's just his phrase, but it doesn't make it really any better. Yeah, I mean, fair, but fair <laughs> enough of a point. And trust me, it's not one that I think I use this phrase with uh, Jason on a conversation. It's not a hill I'm going to die on. And it, it's not in, like if I if I really thought that the whole thing was like like ridiculously over the top or offensive mm-hmm. in any way, I would have said it. And I I didn't think. Delvin's not big on hiding his feelings from me. I can vouch for that. (laughs) But they do bring up a neat thing kind of on the other side of that coin that I did not know that Yafit Kodo rewrote some of his lines to make his character. I I thought he was very good. I did too. Yeah. Again, I think he's one of the better villains Mm -hmm. in the franchise. I didn't know that either, but I'm glad he did. Yeah. Because he had just as big a presence, I think, as Bond. Well, it does speak to the director that director left them because he could have said well nope you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna read what I put down there and right. that's it and it's like and they listen to him and that's cool I mean because yeah Mr. Big definitely one of the high points completely agree with Ruth and Darren uh, on that great job by him Great job by Ruth and Darren, too. Yep. I think it's worth mentioning that we got to uh, meet Ruth and Darren in person. Uh, yeah, this weekend. Uh, this weekend. Right. And that was beyond awesome. Two fantastic people to meet. Well, except person. for the time when Ruth punched Pat. Yeah. You know, I heard he had it coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know who's got it coming? She was ruthless. Paul. <laughs> yes. uh, ruthless. She was ruthless to me. You added a... Yeah. <laughs> and our friend Paul uh, met Roger Moore. <laughs> hung out with him. Our friend Paul actually got to drive one of those boats across yeah. the... Uh, <laughs> our friend Paul directed the film. Let let die. <laughs> our friend Paul has that watch. And it can, in fact, reflect a bullet at long range. We're really developing the hate of this guy, Paul, who we've never met but it's a lovable thing it's a love hate okay. yeah it's just straight jealousy mm-hmm. this is where did you watch the series The Saint you know yeah. I've never seen any Saint for being such a big Bond fan I've oh, never Bond seen one 
I've never seen Saint. I talked with Ruth about it. Yeah, maybe we can check out some of these. Maybe we can go so, see it with our friend Paul. We've got a time machine. Go back and watch them <laughs> yeah, when they're new. Right. <laughs> the, other, the other thing that they mentioned is the singer in the, the club. Yes, we yes. I did not know she was supposed to sing the title song. I she would have done a great job. Yeah, that's pretty neat. I think it's kind of cool that since it didn't work out, she still got to do it in the movie. Yeah. yeah that's kind of neat. Yeah. Very cool. Very yeah, cool. she had a good set of pipes. Yes, she did. Well, thanks for sending that in, Ruth and Darren. And as a reminder, you can check out their myriad, that's right, myriad of podcasts, which includes Xenozoic Xenophiles, Trekker Talk, which is by far... Is that Next Generation? Or no, I that... think it's Deep Space Nine. Okay. No, it's not about Star Trek. It's about Ron Randall's Trekker comic series. Uh, 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 should be punching, they should be punching you. <laughs> I just made up some lies about you to deflect. Uh, they also do Warlord Worlds, which is really hard for me to say. All those podcasts come highly recommended. Thanks, guys. I believe Agent Z, Don Zuderman from the Netherlands, also sent an audio file. Oh, here we go. Agents, this is Don Zuiderman calling in again from the Netherlands with my contribution for your Live and Let Die episode. And uh, what I want to talk about is the pre title sequence because this is a bit of a strange one. We see three deaths, but we don't get to see James Bond. Now, this is the eighth James Bond film overall, and this is the first time that that happened. Unless, of course, you want to count from Russia with Love with the fake Sean Connery. Anyway, there have been a few interesting pre-title sequences so far. Some of them are heavily involved with the plot of the film, like You Only Live Twice. Um, some of them are only slightly involved with the rest of the film. For instance, Diamonds of Forever or uh, Majesties. Um, and then there are some pre-title sequences that are almost like standalone little movies that have no connection whatsoever to the rest of the film, like Goldfinger and Thunderbolt. So my question basically is, what do you prefer? And what are your hopes for Bond 25 next year? If I'm being honest, I would love to see a standalone little mission as a pre-title sequence that has absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the film. And please bring back the fake seagulls too. Oh, by the way, um, there is one more James Bond film in which James Bond doesn't appear in the pre-title sequence. I'm not going to spoil which one it is, but keep an eye out for it. Okay, that's it for now. Um, have fun, guys, recording this episode, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. I'm so glad Don sent that in. I actually did a Twitter poll asking the public. I think the general public is with Agent Z. It was like 75% people want to stand alone. I prefer standalone. My favorite one up till now is a Goldfinger. I like that pre-title. Pass around the table, Delvin. I'm in a minority on this one. I like mine to be a part of the story, but I get the cutscene that is just kind of, hey, welcome back to James Bond. Here's him doing some cool stuff. And he's doing that cool stuff, and he, you know, always ends up, you know, looking cool, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's our bond. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I, I do get it. Jason. I like the standalones, but it can be part of the story. I mean, if it's well done, I'm thinking it's going down the road a little bit, but Goldeneye, something, oh, that's a good one. something that's like good. that. Yeah, I like that. To me, that's the one that's about perfect. 
One that I like so far up to now, I would say, is Thunderball. I really like the jetpack and the <laughs> jetpack. Yeah. Fighting the widow. That was <laughs> punching the widow. Punching the widow in a jetpack. That's not your mother. It's a man, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Why won't wig go off? Pat, what about you? What are your thoughts? I like to keep it like little mission like that. I think that's very cool to do. What else is he doing out there? You can get a little quick little story of a mission. What I really would like to see is maybe they can make him better missions of either what 008's doing. <laughs> you know, filing. You know, filing. filing. You know, getting the car clean or something like that. Or maybe even following Gary Moneypenny. Yes. We what is Gary Moneypenny up to? And what's Gary up to these days is a darn fine question. <laughs> they should make those the sitting in the office and someone's like, you know James Bond's macking on your girl, right? <laughs> that, that, that is not true. That is not true, you SOB. <laughs> How much money is he paying M to make sure Bond gets sent out on these missions? to try to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, I would choose the sneaky bond, beginning like a good sneaky bond. I'm tossed between Thunderball opening and he goes into that oil tank. Goldfinger. 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 Okay, that's what I would... So I would, it looks like the table fell three out of four, just like <laughs> Saul like did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. The other question he asked in there was thoughts for Bond, bond, 25. bond 25. I think we've tipped our cards. You know, I want to stand alone. Was he talking about the movie itself? Or? I thought Yes. Yes. I thought oh, it's the pre-title okay. sequence, like what we wanted to see in pre-title. Okay. The, the, my answer for that would be I want to see either a 008 or Gary. A Gary Moneypenny. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah, I think that they're going to probably <laughs> stick to the recent script of I remember seeing some of the later Bond films of just they do that opening montage cutscene that doesn't have anything to do with the actual movie itself. They'll probably stick with that. I just don't want to see any more Spectre. You know, in a broader sense, I don't know if that's what he's asking, but I want a more old school Bond film where he shows up and gets a mission and goes and stops the bad guy. We don't have to worry about his backstory. Mm-hmm. Just pew pew pew. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sexy girl, sexy girl. <laughs> and I've just read the script. <laughs> we actually did not get any questions on Twitter this week. I feel sad inside. I feel hollow. Yes. That doesn't seem right. Twitter no. listeners, send us some questions and comments, people. We need questions. We need comments. We need both questions and comments. <laughs> I got a question. Oh, why didn't anybody send us any comments? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I like that. Question. I have a comment. Yeah. We need questions. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that will bring us to a close on this episode of MI6 Rookie Agents. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this crew and you want to hear uh, more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out the Longbox Crusade. Pat, tell the listeners where that can be found. Well, Jason, <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Happy back. Let me tell you where that's at. You can find the Longbox Crusade on the World Wide Web at www.longboxcrusade.com. You can also follow us on the Twitter at Longbox Crusade. Or if you're into the Facebook, check us out at Longbox Crusade on the Facebook page. Back to you, Jason. <laughs> it actually goes to uh, Jared. Oh, back to you, Jared. <laughs> That's creepy in person. That is yeah, really like, bizarre. It's like he's going to harm us. Thank you, Pat. Oh, you're welcome, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible in person. <laughs> it is, ain't it? Do you mind if I get closer to you? <laughs> this is getting weird. Thanks to the fellows for taking on yet another dangerous mission. Thanks to the listeners who tuned in. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment on this or any other episodes, feel free to contact the show on Twitter at 
O-H-M-S-P-O-D or email us at O-H-M-S-P-O-D at Outlook.com or you can contact any of us directly on Facebook or Twitter. We all want more friends. My contact info is at Yard Sale Artist on Twitter. I'm also Yard Sale Artist on Facebook and Yard Sale Artist on Instagram. Jason. I'm at Weasel Skull on Twitter. I'm at Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. Patrick. Jason, I'm glad you asked where you can find me. Oh, up. Thanks for talking to me some more. I appreciate it. No problem. Well, let me tell you. You want to hear a little bit more from me and get in contact with me? I would love for you to tweet with me. <laughs> and you can find me on the Twitter at Cristato01. That's where you'll find me. But if you want to have some other extra fun with me, why don't you come and join me in my new game that I'm playing? It's called Clash of Clans. <laughs> me and my son, we have a clan put together. If you want to hook us up, we're called Regular Rebels. I will let you know that you can find me at DEE underscore RAY1977 on Twitter. Would love to chat with you anytime. We hope to hear from you soon. The next Please episode. Stop. <laughs> He's dancing around the room. He won't stop. He's oh my goodness! It's, and Delva's getting into it. If you want my body oh. and you think I'm sick, <laughs> well, it is one in the morning here after day three of Heroes Con. We hope to hear from you soon. The next episode of MI6 Rookie Agents will feature the man with the golden gun. And remember, for the love of God, if we haven't killed each other, Honor Her Majesty's Secret Podcast will return. You were young. Have a changing world in which we live in makes you give in and cry. Say, live and let As I mentioned in the beginning, we'll close out this episode of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast with the short interviews from a few brave souls who attended the screening of Live and Let Die, and then let me record them immediately following the show. The screening took place at the Capri Theater in Montgomery, Alabama back in April, and it was lots of fun. Have a listen. What if I don't give an answer you don't... Don't worry about it. Okay. All right. I am here with the lovely... What's your name? Lauren. Lauren. We just got out of Live and Let Die. Lauren has never seen it before. Lauren, what did you think of the movie? I think James Bond is hot. That's correct. <laughs> it was good. It was good? Yeah. What was your favorite part? Uh, I don't know. Just hop out and say boat chase. Okay, the boat there chase. You <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, okay. it was all good. Was this your first James Bond movie, period? No. Okay, what have you seen before? I've seen, like, the newer James Bond. Like Daniel Bond. Craig stuff? So you're <laughs> like, what? Like Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. oh so you're talking <laughs> Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. Now she's on Mission That's okay. So this is your first retro Bond film. Yeah. But you overall enjoyed it. Scale of 1 to 10. 1 to 10. What do you think? I'd say an 8. An 8? That's a solid. That's about where I'd put this movie to. Really? Okay. (laughs) 
Well, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. And I hope you'll be picking up some more Bond films. Me too. Well, it's nice to meet you. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, and now I'm here with... Steven. Hey, Steven. We just got out of Live and Let Die. Steven, what are your thoughts? What are your favorite parts of this movie and your overall thoughts on it? Uh, Boat Chase, uh, Jane Seymour, and Kananga blowing up, actually. <laughs> you love that Kananga blowing up. Was this your first time on the movie, or is this a rewatch? Uh, no, this is a uh, multiple rewatch. Multiple rewatch. So you have a long-time fan. Long-time fan, but this is one of my least favorites in the series. Oh, okay, okay. Everybody just turned on you just now, but that's all right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. You, you had a good night at the theater? Yes, I did. Okay. Fantastic. Are you like me? No matter what Bond movie they play, you're going to show up? Absolutely. Ah, that's what I like to hear. Okay, you're here with your buddy, right? And what's your name? Trey. Trey. Okay, Trey. First time or multiple watch? Uh, first time on the silver screen, multiple watch. Ah, uh, same, same, same here. What are your favorite parts of this movie? You know, my favorite parts are, are more or less the black turtleneck with the... Uh, Hell yeah! <laughs> the Magnum. Uh, I think that's probably the coolest part of the movie. I think it's one of the coolest Bond outfits of the franchise. I think that's one of the, the thing that actually separates this from the other ones. I don't think it ages well i think going into his uh his flat in chelsea <laughs> um i think with the uh the big circles on the walls i think i think that takes away from bond's character bond i, I feel like is a man of class and, and more of a man of of uh, traditional stature okay so it was a little too 70s decor for you i think i think it didn't do the character of bond well. But but who amongst us wouldn't want to live in that place right now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just want the coffee machine. That's all. I'm <laughs> awesome. I appreciate your time, guys. Any other thoughts on the film? Uh, no, but definitely uh, come down here. Is this only for Montgomery, or is this no? The, we we podcast. We got podcast listeners in the Netherlands. Okay, we have one guy from the Netherlands. Just so you guys know, we're standing in front of the oldest movie theater in the state of Alabama. It was built in 1943, and if you ever get a chance, come down here. They just redid the seats, and they have actual 35-millimeter prints down here. It's awesome. Yes, this is the Capri Theater, downtown Montgomery, Alabama. We just watched an actual 35-millimeter print, and it was excellent. Appreciate your time, guys. Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. You. All right, we'll see you around. All right, and we are here with, what's your name, sir? Bill. Bill, we just got out of Live and Let Die, watched it on the big screen, 35-millimeter print. Bill, is this your first time with Live and Let Die? Certainly not. I saw it when it came out first time 45 years ago oh so this is, you've made like a round trip back to the silver screen to see it again i've seen it this is probably the third or fourth time i've seen it on the big screen nice are you a bond nut in general sure i've got all the films my kind of guy okay what are your favorite parts of live and let die there's so many i mean the whole concept of roger moore stepping into the role and changing it to add more of the humor with the writing it, it changed the the whole tone of the films from what connery had done so mm -hmm. you know the uh you know, you got two great chases in there. Oh, yeah? The boat chase. Mm -hmm. And then you've got through Jamaica, well, which was actually Jamaica <laughs> with the motorcycle and the police cars. That double-decker bus. <laughs> you know, and, and then the airplane, airplane there at the airport, too. So I guess there's really three if you look out there. Going to the double-decker bus, let me ask you, what do you like better, the, the spin out on the water or the knock the top off under the bridge well you gotta go with the top off the bridge because that was the climax to the chase <laughs> okay i still find that spin out on the water impressive yeah. <laughs> yeah, chased by the three motorcycles the uh, brand new that year when they came out they were brand new harley davidson's oh i didn't know that yeah, nice bit of that trivia was, that was the year that those motorcycles were actually released i bet they got to keep them <laughs> uh, yeah. somebody got to keep them so that was pretty good but, you know it was a very good film and it's very popular it's over the years, I'm sure it's produced well for the company and 
Oh, yeah. I think they were happy with it because they were starting over. Really, they were. Yeah. So new tone, new actor, Michael new everything. Moore stayed with it, and uh, you know, he, you know, as he aged, it kind of got kind of rough, as he said. By the time he, he got to where his leading ladies, he was old enough to <laughs> yeah, be their grandparents. That's right. Yeah, yeah. got a little uncomfortable. But this was his first one, and so, you know, did well. And, you know, it was a really good film, and it's, uh, it's good to see it after all these years. So. It sure was It was sure was fun to see it on the big screen well, with the a rip rent. Oh, the soundtrack. Yeah. You know, Paul McCartney. Can't go wrong. Uh, so you down for the soundtrack? Probably just about the best theme song for any of the Bond movies. Certainly the most commercially successful theme songs. It is nominated for Academy Award for Best Song. That's right. I don't think it won. I, I think go yeah. back and look. I, I think commercially, think, this one and, and A View to a Kill by Duran Duran did really well. Well, this one did better than Duran Duran. Duran was it's very popular for the time, but this one with that song certainly made. Oh, okay, all absolutely. right, absolutely can't go you wrong. Think about the money that the song is still played today. True, quite quite heavy airplays. So. Yeah, a lot on classic rock stations. Yeah. They play the heck out of it. Absolutely, I always like hell better than Duran Duran. <laughs> you get right down to it, really. Good. I always like this song because in, in remember in Goldfinger when James. Bond, Sean Connery says it's like listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. Yes. And next thing you know, you got a Beatle playing a theme song. Yeah. <laughs> it always cracks me up. You have to say they always they were smart money makers, but they had a sense of humor and they worked a lot of that in and a lot of different faces. They sure did. They sure did. Okay, I'll ask you one more question. There was a lot of a lot of henchmen, a lot of cool henchmen in this movie. Okay, you had Whisper, you had Teehee, Baron Samity, J.W. Pepper's brother-in-law. Okay, the guy with the goat head. Which one's your favorite? Well, you know, Baron Samity was—he's an iconic character because he was a—he was a famous dancer. He was an, actually an artist when he was cast mm-hmm. in this role, and he worked for years on Broadway. And just recently died in the last couple of years ago. So mm-hmm. even though people don't remember his ability, he's kind of an iconic figure. Um, you know, probably T. He was the best of all of the other. Henchman. Yeah, you like the tea? He was cool. Alfat Cotto probably didn't hold up as an arch villain throughout the series. I doubt very many people remember him. Well, he's a great great actor, actor, but I like the reveal of him being Mr. Big. And what I liked about watching it on this screen, I don't know if you noticed it, when he pulled that face off, somebody in the theater, it was their first time, and they went, what? It's very interesting after four and a half decades to hear somebody's obviously seeing it for the first time. (laughs) Yeah. But that's not you. You're a repeat viewer. And uh, you know, this one, you know, there's no telling how many times I've seen this one over the years. Well, I expect I'll see you here for another Bond movie. Sure. If they do this uh, with the Capri Classics once a year with this, then I always try to come if I can. And, Same. And, you know, you think about this, uh, you know, they're out here serving uh, martinis before you go in to get <laughs> see the film. You can't beat that. You can't beat that. <laughs> All right. Thanks for your time, thank bud. You, Catch you next time. And now we have maybe the most important interview of the night. I brought my 11, almost 12-year-old son, Jordan, with me. Jordan, is this your first time on Live and Let Die? No. No? How many times have you seen it? Three? Probably that sounds about right. <laughs> Three times. What are your favorite parts of Live and Let Die? I like the boat chase and the part where the the cars are racing by and he's in the double-decker bus. Oh, those are two great ones. Two really solid chases in that film. All right. What were your least favorite part? I didn't ask anybody else this, but I'll ask you. What's your least favorite part about it? I'm not sure. I feel like the uh, that skeleton guy... I feel like he could have played a better role instead of just pop out of a grave, die, <laughs> pop out of a grave again, disappear, and then appear like on a train again. See, what you're talking about here is a lesson in charisma. That actor has a lot of charisma, and he's very charming. So you want to see more of him. Yeah. How'd you think about that exploding balloon bad guy at the end? <laughs> 
I loved it. <laughs> Excellent. You got anything else on Live and Let Die you want to say? No. All right. We'll catch you next time on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. Thank you, Miss Moneypenny. That's all. That's all. So now that I gather you all together, is that the level you're talking at? <laughs> no, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be talking at this level right here. I want to talk loud and clear, but not bother Miranda. Jason, could you breathe into the microphone? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Am I talking loud? Check him You know what the best part of this show is? <laughs> The end. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tatler. Thanks, right. Walter. Hello and welcome to Honor Majesty's Secret Prod. Start again. Hello and welcome to. Shut up! 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 Shut but my throat is jacked up. I talk really loud to a lot of people all weekend long. It was a fun show. Made some good money. Made some good friends. Some friends gave me money. It's a win-win for Jared. Despite a rough start during production, Live and Let Die roared into the theaters, earning $35.4 million in North America and $72.2 million overseas, while launching Roger... <laughs> More storied run. <laughs> I was ignoring him. <laughs> the rage shower got him. <laughs> For everybody who's listening, we've been like pantomiming every bit of what he said. He made it all the way to the last sentence before we cracked it. <laughs> all right, here we go again.
Achterbahn. Respekt mir bitte. I'm pretty sure my brother took a phone call in the middle of this podcast. Yeah. Yes. Dude, Jason take a phone call. <laughs> dude, dude took a phone call. Dude just up and took the phone call. Like we were nothing. Yeah. Like, like someone big and important is on his freaking phone and he had to stop the podcast to do that. Oh man, I tell you what. He thinks he's me. He just, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm this phone call. That's it. He's Mr. Big. He's Mr. Big. You tell him we're going down to Detroit. We'll sort it out. Names is for tombstones, baby. Take this honky out and kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure Jason took a phone call. He did. And he's just like, he didn't even say like, we're doing podcasts. You know, like, can we? Nope. 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 Am I crazy or did Jason take like a 20-minute call in the middle of my podcast? <laughs> That's eight minutes. Okay, I'm crazy then. That's very fun. I've got the time right here. Eight minutes. All right, where were we? Oh. Literally in the middle of a thought. <laughs> I understand that double loads have a very short life expectancy. Spinoff podcast called Gary Money Penny. Okay. <laughs> We're going to tell you what Gary's up to in, in the background of every episode. It'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I, I think you should get up and dance with like Jason now. <laughs> and, and while Pat is dancing beside oh. Jason. And that's a wrap for this episode of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you around the alternate dimensions in the future.
The music themes for this show are done by musical genius Joe November. Please check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You will not regret it.